Well, good morning. We're going to read from the opening chapter of John's Gospel. Can we have a little bit of light so people can read their notes if they want to? Thank you. That's better. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Last week we started this series that we're calling Identity Check. And we're going through a review for some and, and new material for others over the next several weeks in trying to be sure about what is our identity in Christ. How, how do we know how to live in this world with all the different people and movements who try to pull you in one direction or another or label you in one fashion or another? Who are we and do we know for sure? And, and so we're going through this identity check series. This morning we're going to talk about being children of God. Here's what John writes. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we thank you for the many ways that you bless and guide us. We thank you most of all for sending Jesus into this world. We are gathered here because despite the variety of backgrounds that we come from, different church denominations and movements or no church background at all, we share a common interest in learning more about Jesus, in following Jesus, and learning more and more of what it is that you've done for us when we put our faith in you. Thank you for this amazing central truth that we get to talk about this morning, that there is a way that we can become children of God and there is one who is the giver of the right to take on that designation. I pray that there were many around the South Shore who would become confident children of God who are not today. Forgive us for the ways that we sometimes think wrongly about this, that this is something that's given away by virtue of the family we're born into or belonging to the right church or going through some rite that the church has created. But we know that you are the one who gives away this right. You're the only one who can. This is your family. This is your name. And so I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to each of us from the longest veteran Christ follower in the room to the person who's kicking the tires and wondering what this is all about or if it's even for them. Thank you for reminding us of these great themes of light coming into darkness and piercing the darkness and pushing it back. Thank you for the reminder that the darkness has not overcome the light, but the light overcomes the darkness. We pray for our friends at Amira who are trying to pierce the darkness of human trafficking through churches that pray with and support and from time to time get their hands dirty. Forgive us, Lord, for believing this is a problem that exists somewhere far away like countries like India or Las Vegas and Los Angeles in our country. Forgive us for 
somehow turning a blind eye to, re to realizing that the, the vast majority of the trafficking problem in the United States is here on the eastern seaboard where we live. Oh, God, break the power of evil in this world. Oh, God, let your light shine into dark places and use surprising people, even some of us, to bring light into the darkest places of the world. And let it shine here more brightly than ever today. In Jesus' name, amen. Several years ago, my oldest daughter, Annie, was facing the challenges of starting her freshman year in a college 1,100 miles from home. After one of those discussions with her parents, she realized that she needed to find a, a group or a place to belong to. A short time later, she saw an ad on campus from the women's basketball coach who was looking for a team manager. So Annie applied. She wasn't a shoe-in for the role because she wasn't a former high school basketball player, but she had gone to a small Christian high school where her uncle, my brother, was the basketball coach. And when she interviewed for the role at her college, she knew that she at least had that little bit of experience to fall back on. The college coach explained to her that this was a major commitment. Their, their season was five months long, and she would be, be expected to be at every team practice and every game, and sh she told him that's what she wanted to be a part of. A few minutes later, the coach told Annie that the job was hers, and that it paid $2,500. He asked if it was okay if, if he broke that down to $500 a month. That's pretty good money when you're in college. That, that's a good deal. At which point, Andy responded that she had thought it was a volunteer role like the one she had in high school. He told her he liked her even more. And he let her know from that day on that she was part of the coaching staff. And though she was free to befriend the players, the freshman basketball players were the ones who had to carry the bags of gear and, and schlep all the stuff onto the bus for their road trips. But she was staff. She didn't have to do that. Oh, she liked that. From that time, Annie took on that role, we noticed a difference in her voice on our calls and in her confidence overall. She had a role, and she'd found an identity with that team. On game days, she wore the same shirts that the coaching staff wore. At practices, she, she kept the coach's plan on schedule. At away games, she ran the camera to record the game so that the coaches could review some of the plays and, and the flow of the game afterward. And within a few months, Annie's identity on that campus began to change. She was befriended by the young women on the team, most of whom were scholarship athletes. Being the only student on the team from the Boston area, she adopted the Boston Celtics as her team. And before long, she was spouting statistics on all the Celtics players, far beyond what I would do, and I was kind of a nerd that way growing up. She was rooting for the Celtics to beat the Chicago Bulls and all the other teams that, that her friends rooted for. And she was asking for Celtics gear to wear to classes. And when she came home on break, she delighted in attending a few Celtics games with me. Now here's the point of telling you that story. I don't often tell stories about my kids on Sundays, but I got permission for this one. I think of Annie's role with the women's basketball team at her college, and I think of it very fondly because it gave her this new sense of identity at a time when she was facing the challenge of fitting in far from home. As soon as she was hired, she found that she had the rights of being a staff member and a role that helped her team. And she kept that role for two years, even traveling, traveling to Hawaii for a Christmas tournament one year. 
and wearing Boston Celtics gear on an Illinois campus added to her sense of identity far from home. She belonged here, and she belonged there, too. Last weekend, we launched a new series that we're calling Identity Check. The subtitle is Exploring My Identity in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, my hope is that this series will help you grow in confidence and know who you are in God's eyes. If you're kicking the tires and you're brand new to all of this and checking out whether Christian faith is a step you are willing to take and ready to take, I want you to know that this is one of the central promises of Jesus. And if you miss out on this, you miss out on just about everything. That those who fully Embrace Jesus by faith, are invited to become children of God. So part two of this series is children of God. Good morning, my friends. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to see you here. I'm glad that we have a, kind of a, almost a full house this morning. And I'm glad to know that there are many of you who are watching online as well. We're grateful that you've taken this time to partner with us and participate. As always, I'd like to point you toward taking whatever the next appropriate step is for you. Sometimes Christian growth sounds difficult, but you can really break it down to simply taking the next step that the Lord makes evident to you as you move forward. We grow in our faith in the way that we serve the Lord by adopting a pattern of taking whatever the next step is. Here's the question that I think is lurking behind this particular message. Can I really be a child of God? Or is that a thing from the past? Have I lived a life in such a way that I'm excluded by that? Are the things in my life too difficult or too hard for God? Can I really be a child of God? So let's talk about becoming children of God. By the way, I loved hearing you belt out as a congregation a few minutes ago. I am a child of God. It was wonderful. And that that warms me up and fuels me up for, for diving into where we're going this morning. Here's the first observation. Jesus is the word and the true light. Verse 9 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John's gospel starts by impressing upon us two dominant claims. The first is that Jesus is the definitive word of God. The second is that Jesus is the great light that was coming into the world. Let's explore that first thought. Jesus is the definitive word of God. So John's gospel opens up this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. With these opening sentences, John tells us some very important details about Jesus. First, he tells us that Jesus is the definitive word of God. There was a debate going on in Greek logic. The New Testament was written in the Greek language about what is the ultimate truth of the world. And so the, the, the word that they used for that was logos. What is the logos? What is the ultimate truth? You know that word logos becomes, because it's part of the back end of our words like biology or theology. It means the truth about something or the definitive word about something. So biology is the definitive word about life. Theology is the definitive word about God. Jesus is the definitive word of God. He was God, with God from the beginning and he was God from the beginning. 
Jesus was God's agent in creating this world that we live in. And he was not only with God and around God, he was in his own nature God. That's what John tells us. It's his declaration. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, had seen many healings and miracles like calming the sea, feeding the 5,000 from a few loaves and fishes. He'd stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus died, and he'd seen and talked with and had eaten with the risen Jesus for 40 days after the resurrection. And so John starts off with his conclusion. These are all the things that he's seen, and as a result of that, he tells us that Jesus was with God and that Jesus was God. There is no hint of confusion in John's language. As the definitive word of God, he represents to us all of the fullness of God. The second thing that John wants us to know right away is that Jesus is the true light. And so he pictures Jesus as the light that was coming into the darkness. The world had become increasingly dark since that rebellion in the Garden of Eden. The empires of Egypt and Rome had only increased this darkness, just to name a few. Finding God became harder and harder amidst the increasing darkness in the world. And then Jesus. Jesus exploded on the scene as light that penetrates darkness and pushes it back. So John tells us that this great light shines in the darkness and that the darkness has not overcome the light despite betrayal and rejection, despite the cross. Did you hear those words? Sometimes we need to hear this. Sometimes we think that there's so much darkness in the world and the light's getting squished out. That is not the conviction of John, the gospel writer. He says it's just the opposite. There is great darkness, but the light is pushing it back continually every day, day by day. That's the world we live in, where Jesus is the overcomer, the conqueror, not the other way around. This is the backdrop and foundation for the rest of what we will explore today. These two themes about Jesus being the definitive word of God and the true light that shines brightly in the midst of the darkness. Sadly, despite all that I've just said, Jesus remains unrecognized by most. That's the second observation. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Let the final thrust of that verse hit home. The world did not recognize him. Yes, we know that much of the world in Jesus' time did not recognize him. Not all of the world was aware of what was going on around Israel and Jerusalem and Galilee and the places where Jesus walked. What makes this stand out so greatly is the contrast that set this up, that the world was made through him, and yet it did not recognize him. And he was there in the beginning, he was with God and he was God, and yet the world did not recognize him. He was the light shining in the darkness, and still the world did not recognize him. Just as then, it is far too common for people today to fail to recognize Jesus. You might think, oh, come on, Paul, how can that be? Some people don't recognize Jesus because they see him as just another religious figure. Some people don't recognize Jesus because they're looking for a Jesus who comes on their terms, 
who fits into their lives very neatly, very comfortably, and never encroaches on any lifestyle decision that we make along the way. Some people don't recognize Jesus because they don't want a Lord who has a mission for us to carry out. They want a Lord who gets on our team and helps us carry out our mission, whatever we decide that is. Like the one who attended a Christian church but left the moment the leader started talking about raising money to push forward in a new mission objective or to raise a, a building that, because they'd outgrown the old one. Like the, the young woman in a street interview that I watched who was asked why she was wearing a large cross despite telling everyone that she believed that the Jesus of the Bible was a dangerous myth. She said she saw the cross simply as a fashion statement. That's all it is. You see, it's very easy and common to fail to recognize Jesus, even all the signs and symbols are all around us. Third observation. First is that Jesus is the word and the true light. The second is that Jesus remains unrecognized by many. The third observation is Jesus is often rejected by his own. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. John saw firsthand how the religious leaders in his day rejected Jesus. When he was a teen, they marveled about how he debated Scripture with them. Remember that scene? The rabbinic way was to answer questions by asking new questions. So I imagine Jesus debating with the rabbis, and they'd throw out a question, and he'd counter with a question that took them deeper into the conversation. Jesus had a way of trumping their knowledge of Old Testament Scripture. Yet they increasingly rejected him during the years of his public ministry. And in the end, they were among the group that handed him over to Pilate to be crucified. However, we must realize something. Not all of the Jews in the first century rejected Jesus. All of the early disciples were Jews, just as Jesus was. The crowds who followed him were mostly Jews. And so there are many, there are hundreds, there are thousands of people who at some level, in some way, shape, or form, were beginning to inquire about Jesus, to follow Jesus. And, and the early explosion of growth was largely among Jewish people. We tend to forget that today. We must be careful to avoid taking these observations about being rejected by his own and somehow turning those into anti-Semitic statements. In today's world, that would just be explosive. It is also true that John, Paul, Peter, and Matthew each tried to reach out to Jewish people first in city after city where they went. They always left room because their fellow Jews had the Old Testament as a foundation and they had much of the knowledge that Jesus drew from in his stories and parables and they loved the same God who sent Jesus. Jesus is often rejected by his own today. In every generation, it is rather easy for the children of the church to walk away from it all. Why is that? Well... Becoming a child of God brings with it the expectation that our ways and, and habits eventually begin to reflect God himself. Some find that uncomfortable. And there's always a crowd that wants to walk a different path. The darkness, even if it's only just a little bit dark, always is somewhat enticing. 
So we've seen that Jesus is the Word of God and the true light. We've seen that Jesus is not recognized by much of the world and that Jesus is often rejected by his own. Here's the big idea for this morning. Though unrecognized and rejected by many, Jesus alone offers the right to become children of God to all who open their hearts, minds, and arms in faith. Fourth observation. Only Jesus can give the right to become children of God. Only Jesus. There's no other person. There's no other way. Here's what John writes in in verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of, of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Verse 12 tells us that Jesus gives the right to become children of God. Now, if we need to become, then this isn't something that comes to us as a natural birthright. Sorry, whatever you thought, it didn't come to you in the midst of uh, being held by mom and dad the first time. It doesn't come through osmosis if you slept in their bed a little bit when you were a newborn. It doesn't happen that way. If somebody is able to bestow this right upon us, that means that that person must have the authority to do this, the authority to grant this right. If it has to be received, then you don't already have it without meeting the conditions that are implied by receiving it. Notice what John adds in verse 13. It doesn't come through natural descent meaning it's not just handed down automatically as a result of being born into the right family. So you can't say, I'm a Christian because all of my family members are Christians and kind of ride their coattails. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't come merely through a human decision. So it's not like we just wake up and decide, I'm going to become a Christian today. It's all from me. I'm deciding this. Actually, God is involved even in your decision-making process in ways, ways that you don't fully understand. Faith comes from God to the one who looks and longs for truth. If you're searching, ask God to give you faith. He will. He'll give you the very thing that he wants from you. And don't worry because the Holy Spirit leads us in that direction. God is in the business of being found and he wants you to find him. And it doesn't come to us because an authoritative parent decides for you. That's what it means when it says, not by a husband's will. It's not like dad decides, you know what, we're all going to switch from being Buddhist to Christian today and the whole family, it's it's done, it's decided. There still has to be a personal faith element in that. And now we find that great phrase that comes at the end, born of God. John tells us that Jesus is bringing a new possibility into the world. It's the hope that you can be born of God. You've already been born once into a human family. I'm the son of Robert and Annie and was born into their family, but the reality is there's something greater, and that's being born into God's family. So how can a person of any age be born of God? Last year, I had the privilege of explaining this to Beth Solari's dad, Charlie, who's become my good friend. I meet with Charlie just about every week. He's 92. He's blind in one eye. He doesn't read well with the other eye. But in the last year, 
since last January, finished in November, he listened to the entire Bible. First time in his life. Ever went through that. Brand new Christian at 92. And we talk about things like being born of God, becoming a child of God when you're, now he's 93. Here's the point. I don't care how old you are. You're not too old for what we're talking about today to be a new reality in your life. You haven't lived so long that you've passed by it if you're in the older part of our group. And if you're young, you won't just catch it by being around mom and dad. You have to take a step toward Jesus. So John answers the question right here. How can we be born of God? First, he tells us you have to receive Jesus. This means more than intellectually giving assent to the concept that Jesus lived. I talk with all kinds of people who say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I know all these details. But the, what you do, that's for people who are really out there on the edge, Paul. <laughs> to receive someone means that you welcome them with open arms. You ever been received by somebody when they're the host and you're invited to, into their home and they make you feel so welcome? That is the art of receiving. You grant that person presence in your life. Second, you have to believe in his name. Believing in Jesus is not merely believing that he existed or that his name was Jesus. The act of believing in his name goes back to the Roman concept of sonship. Believing in Jesus' name means believing that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah who came to redeem people from their sins, and that he has the authority to offer what he is presenting to us. Believing in his name means that you believe that Jesus acts on the authority of God, and therefore, acting on his promise is a step into trustworthiness. When you receive and believe in him, Jesus receives and believes in you. He extends to you something you didn't have before, the right to be called a child of God. So we're not just crazy when we start to belt out a song like the one we ended with, I am a child of God. It's one of the most foundational truths of Christian history, of Christian theology, of Christian reality. That when we consider God the ancient of days and the ultimate father to be included in his family is the greatest treasure we can ever know in life and the greatest thing we can ever give away to somebody else. Who gives us this right? John wants us to know. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has that authority. That means that it doesn't come as a result of being part of the right church, even this one. It doesn't come through a religious act that is conducted by your pastor or your priest. I'm not able to do that for you. This is why faith is necessary. You cannot receive the benefit he wishes to give you if you do not believe Jesus has the right and the authority to grant you this status and that he is who he says he is. That's the faith that we're talking about. Faith is deciding to trust that Jesus really is the key to becoming part of God's family for the rest of eternity. Faith is an act of trust where you put your life and your future in his hands and you pledge to follow his leadership from this day on. It's something that can be renewed if you've embraced that a long time ago and kind of moved away from it. It's something that can be taken for the first time. It's something 
that even if you're hearing this for the hundredth time and it finally breaks through, that can create a whole new reality for your life. Though unrecognized and rejected by many, Jesus alone offers the right to become children of God to all who open their hearts, minds, and arms in faith. Why did I describe it that way? Sometimes faith is simply described as an openness of the heart, as if the mind's left out of it. Well, the heart's included. You have to have your will involved. But your mind needs to be there, too. You need to believe the right things about Jesus. But why the arms? Because it's then that I think that we actually get what this receiving is about and saying, I open myself to you, Jesus, as you invite me into a closer relationship with God. Question. Have you acted on this promise yet? It is one of the most foundational, fundamental promises in the entire gospel. John starts off with this in the opening paragraphs of his Description of the life of Jesus. Have you acted on this promise yet? You can do that right here, right now, if you're willing to. You can renew that right here, right now, if God is leading you to. Your mind already has enough information. That's often where we get stuck. I need to know more. You know enough because a child can embrace this. Now it's a matter of your heart. Do you want to be a child of God? Do you want to grow as a child of God? Do you want to be renewed as a child of God? If you do, you can pray a prayer, something like this. This is going to show up behind me. You can whisper it. You can say it out loud if you want. But I'm going to, I'm going to read through this. Jesus, I receive you into my life as the one-of-a-kind Son of God. You were sent as the Messiah to redeem me from my sins. I am turning away from the path of sin and selfishness. I am trusting that because you are the Son of God and my Savior, you have the authority to give me the right to become a child of God, adopted into God's family at your invitation. If you just prayed that for the first time, I want you to just say something to God. Whisper it to him right now. Here I come, doubts and all, today. Now, once you've taken this step, this becomes your new identity. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. We are not God in the same way that Jesus is, but we are on the pathway toward becoming more like Jesus. He's the model or standard whom we follow. You will grow as you spend time in his word, the Bible, reflecting on his truth, and you will grow as you spend time reflecting on his presence in your life and Offering prayer to him. Prayer is simply talking to God. Tell him what you think. Tell him what you feel. Tell him where you struggle. Tell him where you need help. Praise him for what he's done. The Lord will have roles for you to play as you join in serving others in his name. And here's part of the great part. He will stand by you and lift you up when you fail, and you will. And he will cheer you on when you succeed, and you will again. And when the time comes... He will welcome you home with welcome arms, open arms. Though unrecognized and rejected by many, Jesus alone offers the right to become children of God. To all who open their hearts, minds, and arms in faith, even you and me, even today.
God, allow these truths to sink in deeply because they are foundational. Allow us not to believe that we are just people who march through the process of whatever North River Church cooks up, but rather that North River Church is a gathering spot for people who have been welcomed into your family, invited by Jesus, prompted by the Holy Spirit, renewed as we take steps in faith, and a place where people are seeking to find the way to peace with God and find a way to knowing Jesus, that this is the place where we gather. This is the group of people who will help us find those answers. Allow us to grow in confidence that we are children of God. Not arrogance, but confidence that we can live in the midst of a world that has both light and darkness and that we can discern where the light is shining. And in fact, we can be part of that light that is shining and pushing back the darkness. And I pray that you will allow us to grow in joy and confidence that we not only believe in Jesus, but that we are part of God's family because of Jesus. Oh, God, thank you for this wonderful central truth. In his name, amen.